0: Hey guys, welcome back to Parent Q Live. My name is Carlos Enrique Whitaker. This month, welcome back. I'm back. Kristen. You're back. I haven't heard that. <laughs> I know. I'm back. I know. It's been a couple months, but um, I'm just kind of feeling the heritage, the vibes, kind of going <laughs> on today. Uh, yeah. Carlos Whitaker hanging out here with Kristen Ivy. How are you, Kristen? <laughs> so good. Christina. Very good. Very good. Um, well, we we've got it. We've got a fun show for you guys today. Lots of conversations, uh, not only with our guests, who I'll talk about in just a second, but conversations with each other we're going to be having in just a moment that I'm super excited to have with you, Kristen. Uh, but first and foremost, the, the main man of the hour, uh, the interview we're going to have is with Steve Argue. And Steve is the assistant professor of youth, family, and culture at, once again, our friends, Fuller Youth Institute. These guys are giving us lots and lots of content. Yeah, Just good, good stuff. stuff
1: to think about. Anytime you get to sit down with Steve, is time well spent? Um, yeah, I think...
0: Absolutely. No, he, he. not only time well spent, but it's because he's done so much. I mean, he's been the pastor, uh, one of the pastors from Marsville Bible Church. Um, again, he's had extensive, extensive kind of boots on the ground um, work that he's done with not only students, but with parents as well. And so today we're gonna be talking about, you know, kind of, I I think of it this way. When when I hear your conversation with Steve, I think, you know, we're going to parent our kids past when they're they're done, quote unquote, living with us. Maybe they will live live with us a little (laughs) bit longer. I know I did. Uh, But I know that as a 40 something year old man, I still call my daddy because I still got things that I need him to help me with. And whether or not you want to call that parenting or not, it is what it is. And so talk just a little bit about kind of where this conversation is going. And
1: I love that Steve kind of brought up that idea of living at home too, because I know that's one of the, One of the issues that parents are facing a lot with what he calls emerging adults. Mm. So we're talking about parenting your emerging adult, which is any kid who's 17 years old up until you know in their 30s as they begin a career of their own and kind of a new realm of independence. And so it's this new phase of parenting that for Mm. a lot of us, we haven't really considered before. What does that really look like? What does that mean? And
0: we're all going to go through it. Right. So talk about it. Yeah. You know, and that's what you guys And do. this
1: is Steve's expertise too. I mean, so he good. has lived this for the last um several years. He's just become hyper focused on this as a researcher. And so has really delved into the world of emerging adults, what it looks like, what questions they're asking, what issues they're facing. And it's just a unique opportunity to talk about what life looks like for them yeah. and what they need most from their parents. And I love one of the things he talks about when he talks about how life looks for them, because that's kind of the conversation oh, we yeah. were going to have today, yeah. Carlos. Um, how life looks for an emerging adult today looks a little bit different than maybe when we were...
0: I think so. Emerging adults? I mean, I'm, lots of things <laughs> are vastly different these days. Isn't it, don't you feel like, gosh, the every two years, it just doubles in acceleration, just yeah. how different things look and how different things are. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, lead us into this conversation, Kristen.
1: Well, I mean, it's easy for me to think. I get tricked by time somehow. You yeah. know, I think I'm a lot younger than I am, and then something will happen. It'll remind me, you know, that more time has passed than I think. Yeah. And so it's so easy to look back and think like I know what it was like to be you know 21, 22 years old. I remember it like it was yesterday, and yet it's changed. Mm-hmm. Life has kind of moved on. So, for example, you know. When I went in sixth grade, let's yeah. take sixth grade, sixth back grade. up, back up to sixth grade. Rewinding year. That's for my Kristen, sound. for Kristen, I was Kristen Street. Yes, <laughs> before I was Kristen Ivy. So Kristen Street was on a charter bus going to Washington D.C. for a field trip. Wow! When I went on that field trip, the item that I took with me that was my prized possession was my camera uh-huh. with a little strap around it, so oh, I could yeah. keep up with the case. Absolutely, and I had an extra roll of film so that I could take up to 48 pictures Whoa. at my trip.
0: Your parents loved you.
1: They did. They, they packed me with two rolls Whoa. of film. But today, in today's world, if you're going on that trip with your kids, yeah. you know, I mean, they're using their phone. They can take as many pictures as they want. They can delete them in real time. You see it in real time. You don't take it to get developed anywhere. Mm. So photography
0: has forever changed. That has forever changed. That's something that's completely different. Um, I was having a conversation with my 13-year-old the other day. We were playing some game where, uh, I can't remember what the point of the game was, but I remember she read the word in the game, computer accessories. And she knows what a computer is. Um, <laughs> and, and I think to her, accessories is like what she gets at um, Claire's or, you know, at like the, the bins at Target and stuff. like. That. And she's like, dad, what's a computer accessory? And I was like, what do you mean, what's a computer accessory? It's the things you plug into the computer. And again, now I'm rewinding back to 90s, late 90s, so for me, when we bought a computer, A, it wasn't a laptop, Okay? It was, it was, it was a computer. The computer was like a computer, like right. a tower. Um, and then you had to plug a mouse in. Then you had to plug a uh, monitor. They called it computer monitor. <laughs> then we had to buy speakers. And all right? of these things were computer accessories that right. kids these days don't need those. Yeah. Not only that, they don't need computers yeah. anymore. You know, the, the computer itself is becoming an accessory to the mm-hmm. phone. Um, They, they can go, you know, my daughter for a research paper just researches, just goes on Wikipedia on her phone. You know, yeah. So, I did not so yeah, have that's Wikipedia. that's completely different. No, as well.
1: no, we were on the card catalog, oh, Dewey Decimal System, Dewey Decimal, you know, system. pulling out the little the little tray, the little
0: tray. If, uh, <laughs> I mean, do, do do high schools even have those things anymore? I'm not sure. I'm not know. sure. I don't know either. But yeah, that that Dewey Decimal System was. I, I, I definitely never, never figured that out. I, I always appreciated going to the church library where things were just in alphabetical order. You know, <laughs> this is kind of how it was.
1: I mean, another thing that was different was Friday night movies. I remember oh, yeah. going to a Friday night movie night at a friend's house meant that you all had to kind of meet up, drive to the blockbuster. yes go down to that back aisle with the new releases. New releases, always And on then the back. they have like a full shelf, you know, and you're just hoping that you get there before they sell out of, you know, the Truman Show. <laughs> yes. Because you got the cover and then you're looking for the video behind the cover. Yeah. And, you know, for kids,
0: no, no concept of, what,
1: of the new release Zero. wall. No. Zero,
0: And then if you didn't see it in the new release wall, you would walk up to the front, to the recently turned in bin, and you would just <laughs> yep. kind of dig through yep. that to see if... uh and maybe then,
1: someone's brought it back Maybe already. someone's
0: brought it back, and maybe they just haven't put it back up on the wall. Uh, and then, you know, for those of you that are even a little bit older, remember you'd have to pay, what, a dollar if you didn't rewind your, your VHS? Oh, yeah. please be
1: please kind, Please be kind, rewind. rewind. Yeah.
0: Come on. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's so good.
1: Those are the kind of things that, like, they don't really know that. No, they I, ex- don't. I would expect someone to know that. They
0: don't They, don't, they don't know amazing.
1: that. That's uh, amazing. What about when you met somebody in high school, Carlos uh-huh. you would ask for her digits maybe oh, yeah. you get uh, her phone number. Yeah.
0: I mean I don't even know if digits were the word back then because like <laughs> uh, you know that I would I would definitely ask for her phone number and then I would uh, I would I would wait until you know, maybe 7 when I knew that dinner was over. Okay. Uh because when I would call her it would, wouldn't be her that would answer it would always be her mother right. or her father and so I, Because you know, the
1: number you had was the house, it phone. Was house
0: phone. It was just the house phone. There was there was no cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was the house phone and so yeah, like we would call each other and, and talk.
1: Mm, yeah, remember? You, right. we talk. Well, I remember my parents having to teach me how you appropriately answer the phone yes. or how, you know, because it was this like, it's the home phone. Right. You never know who's going to be calling. This is kind of a. Yeah. Oh, that's.
0: Street or home? <laughs>
1: Street. Oh, yes. sorry. <laughs> it's like the one you drive down. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: like the one you dri- Wait, wasn't Jason Street from Friday Night Lights? Did you ever watch Friday Night Lights?
1: Yes, yeah, Friday Jason Night street. Lights. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so street, like him. Street, You're related just to that like guy. That. Yeah, really,
0: huh. so so things are different. Things, things are different. Things are different these days um, for the youths. They were for us. (laughs) And uh, what I I love, though, is the conversation you did have with Steve. And so we're going to hop into some of those differences and then ways to make them not so massive. So without further ado, here is Kristen's conversation with Steve Argue.
1: Hey, Steve, it's so good to be here with you today.
2: Hey, Kristen, so good to be with you as well.
1: Now, you are the father of three girls. Um, Tell us what their ages are.
2: Yes, I have three daughters. My oldest, Kara, with a K, is 22 years old. My middle daughter, Elise, is 20 years old. And my youngest daughter, Lauren, is... She just turned 17. So we are living living the dream right now.
1: Now, so you're right in this zone that we're going to be talking about today, and that's what I just love so much about your research and also your family when I sit down and have an opportunity to talk to you. So talk to us for a minute about what is an emerging adult? I mean, that's kind of a new, strange phrase.
2: Yeah, the term emerging adult hasn't uh, been around for a long time, probably just a couple of decades, and so there's a lot of new and upcoming research coming out of this whole Uh, phase, which is super exciting. But if I could sort of summarize what emerging adulthood is, I'd say it's a segment of an expanded in-between period between childhood or adolescence and adulthood. And researchers sort of identify this period as those ages 18 up to 30 who are experiencing unprecedented freedom and pressure as They make their way toward adulthood. And um, they're similar but different than maybe a more familiar term that maybe a lot of us have have used or have heard, and that is of millennial. Um, That's used in a lot of popular articles today. You don't have to go far to, to sort of see that. What's interesting about the two terms is this, is that millennial is a sociological term, and it's used to describe those roughly born between 1980 and 2000. Uh, and if we do the math, then millennials today are ages 17 to 37. Now, when people talk about millennials, they usually talk about those in their 20s. So it's sort of interesting to think about that. So right now there's sort of overlap between millennials and emerging adults, but that won't be the case forever. So uh, I like to tell people uh, to sort of make the distinction this way. Uh, millennial is to a Gen Xer. Uh, which is a generational term, what an emerging adult is to an adolescent, which is a developmental term.
1: Great. So millennials will eventually be in their 30s, be in their 40s, be in their 50s. An emerging adult will always be someone who's in this 17 to what now? What was the upper end of that range that you
2: Yeah, got? so 18 up to 30. Up right. to 30. Okay. Right. Right. So, so as a
1: parent, yeah. what this means is that your job, you thought it was going to be over At eighteen, and now your kids tricked you, and you're saying you actually are going to be in a different zone (laughs) of parenting all the way until they're thirty.
2: Well, I I think I, you know, we laugh about that, but I do think it is raising this really interesting conversation about parenting because I think you're exactly right. Uh, In generations past, uh, we have discovered that people were getting married younger. Uh, A lot of times, you would graduate high school and then you could go out and make a living, or maybe do four years of college and then go out and make a living and so uh, I think what you see is that the parenting role sort of ended because their kids were sort of on their way making families of their own and careers of of their own. What we're seeing from the research now is that people are getting married later Uh, it's taking longer to grow up and they're doing not only college but graduate school or technical school or military or a lot of different things and so the time it takes to grow up has expanded Ended, creating um, this new and different relationship that kids have with their with their parents. Uh, and uh, that raises new questions for, for parents then. Uh, how do I parent? When do I get involved? When do I hold back? Am I coddling them by caring for them? Or do I just need to set them free? And so um, a lot of parents are asking these questions right now. So you're exactly right.
1: Absolutely. So you're going to answer all those questions for us.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to answer them in real time, Kristen, (laughs) real time.
1: I mean, talk to us a little bit about the real time. What does this look like in your home or what has it looked like?
2: Uh, Well, it's looked like a lot of different uh, things. I mean, um, I I think, uh, you know, I. I have uh, a daughter, Kara, who just graduated the University of Michigan. Um, She's a smart kid. uh, we moved out to California, and uh, after she graduated, she moved out to to live with us. So we're trying to navigate what it means for her to be an independent, uh, emerging adult, finding her way as she is doing art, and also uh, finding full-time employment, uh, and finding her way with that. Um, she just actually called me right before this podcast. She just had a job interview, and we had to process that together, and so she was super excited about that, but um, but at the same time, she, she likes her. Space. And so we've had to have a lot of talk about what it means to be in our home, but also to be independent and responsible. Uh, my middle daughter, Elise, um, who is right in the middle of college right now. Um, We're trying to help her sort of plan for the future and think about what comes after college and the choices that she makes. And our daughter, Lauren, she's sort of in the cusp of what's next. And uh, again, I think we're having those conversations uh, with them uh, as well. So I think it's just sort of anticipating and trying to help them sort of navigate the next steps of life that they're making. And at the same time, I think as a parent, um, not running ahead Mm -hmm. or uh, or holding them back, um, uh, which is – A growth edge, not only for them, but for for parents uh, as well. And I think this is the thing that I probably learned the most probably as a researcher and just also as a dad is, um, you know, this parenting thing is number one, it's courageous. (laughs) It is so courageous. It's also improvisational. I mean, it, there's no formula, as we know, right? right. I mean, if you're young, old. Um, but it also has this dynamic where we have to realize that as parents that we are constantly changing as well. The moment we stop thinking that we have to change uh, is the moment uh, that I think we lose the chance to have sort of this dynamic and growing and beautiful relationship uh, with our kids. So it constantly is in motion, which uh, keeps us on our toes. Um, but also, I think it makes us better people as well.
1: I think that's great. Now, tell us, okay, you got into this as a researcher to study emerging adults. So yeah. what fascinates you about this age group? I mean, what makes you uh, drawn to them?
2: Oh, you you asked such a great question. And um, you're going to probably have to cut me off because there's <laughs> lots of things. You know, I, I think that in many ways, this is the best phase. It's this decade of life where they're making these decisions that really set them off on a trajectory uh, for adulthood. And so whether we're parents or ministry leaders or educators, I think uh, I have this deep sense and I join others that share this as well, uh, a desire to advocate for them and to set them up well. So as an educator and a researcher, I've been struck especially by the journeys of college students as they... Um, are trying uh, to sort of navigate their way. And their focus in particular that I've been interested in is how college students make sense of their spirituality and their faith as they uh, navigate new information and new experiences. And then as uh, a person who's been a youth pastor and a pastor, uh, which I've done for over 15 years, I've had this growing desire to understand what my students are experiencing once they graduate high school, um, once they graduate my youth group, Uh, like where where do they go? And uh, have we been successful in the ministry realm of setting them up for spiritual success? And then, uh, as I've already mentioned, and as you have alluded to, I think just as a dad, uh, I, with my wife, Jen, are we just want to be good uh, parents and uh, try to parent uh, well in this uh, really really important uh, phase uh, of life so I think all those things uh, through different sort of hats that I wear have motivated me to dive deeply into uh, into this topic and try to figure out well if we can understand their stories and we can give voice to emerging adults and their experiences then we're going to understand them more and then we're going to be able to support them more and we're going to be able to advocate for them for more and I'll tell you something if we can do that that's that's a winner for them and it's a winner for us
1: I think that's just great I love your energy for this age group Um, Getting to hear, you know, what motivates you in all of your studies and everything that you've kind of looked into. So for the rest of us who haven't walked that journey, uh, (laughs) help us know what are some common misconceptions? You know, what are the things that you feel like um, adults who haven't gone on this journey help us have a little bit of empathy? What are misconceptions that we have about emerging adults?
2: Yeah, great. And I love the word empathy. I mean, this idea of empathy is really just kind of coming alongside, right? And sort of putting ourselves in another person's shoes. we uh, Our questions change, our perspectives change when we do that. So I would say there's a lot of misconceptions. And I'll be really honest with you. I'm not speaking as the expert right now. I think I would just say I'm guilty of these misperceptions, conceptions as much as anybody. So our mis- con- misperceptions and conceptions uh, are probably a few. And there's probably some that we can consider. First is is that I think many adults, because they lived in their twenties, uh, think that they understand people in their twenties, and they make that deadly move when they say this phrase: "When I was your age." As soon as they say that, and you know, I know that adults mean well when they say that, but as soon as they say that, um, there's a disconnect because when I was in my twenties people were dressing like Duran Duran the internet didn't exist I used a cassette walkman I wasn't expected to study abroad like my daughters are for their college program um, my peers were getting married much earlier than uh, than now um you know there were, I wasn't competing with the person just in the same city i you know, like, peop- like emerging adults now have to compete with people on the other side of the world. The worlds of 20-somethings today are dramatically different than the worlds of 20-somethings when, I, when say, I was 20. And I think just stopping for a moment and understanding that um, is really helpful because if we don't, what we do is we super uh, impose our experiences on them and we place expectations on them, uh, for a world that doesn't exist for them anymore.
1: That's great. And I think that there's probably, um, a risk that we run in this age group in particular. I'm thinking just in my own journey, my, my kids are a little bit younger. I'm less likely to say, you know, when I was your age and I was five, um, but I can see as your kids get older, there's probably more of a tendency to think, you know, no, I remember being 22. I remember being 24. I I'm, I still feel like that was yesterday. And so um, it is easy to forget how many years have passed, how much has changed.
2: You, you make a great point. I do think we remember our high school years, and I do think we remember our 20-something years. What's interesting, though, is that most people Will only remember the, the good parts, right? You, you know, when somebody says, oh, you know, actually middle school was really great for me. We know they're lying. <laughs> no, nope, middle school wasn't good for anybody. And, you know, I, I think it's in those moments that we just have to kind of maybe just pause. It doesn't mean that, you know, the lives of those in their 20s today are completely different. Like there's never any overlap, but I think we do live in a different world. And I think we just have to, to take that into account. Um, a second misconception, uh, that I think about is sort of this idea. Uh, I think parents worry about this a lot of like moving back home is a failure, <laughs> I'm now, glad that you, yeah, I
1: hope you're going to say that
2: that's not a failure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, uh, so I think there are many cultures where this has never been thought of this way, you know, living in with and supporting parents has always, has been an honorable act and it's part of, of culture. But for many adults, uh, they would consider moving back home, Uh, this failure and embarrassment sort of uh, you remember the movie failure to launch like that's sort of the caricature of of what that means what's interesting is that um, there is research like the Pew Research and others that have said that over 30 percent of emerging adults are currently living at home with their parents okay so uh, uh, one in three are are living at home and we can either bemoan this or we maybe can ask why Uh, and one of the answers could be this is that research suggests that adult markers valued by previous generations like getting a job or getting married or parenthood, aren't the same measures emerging adults today use to define uh, adulthood. Um, For them, adulthood arrives when they're able to accept responsibility for their actions or make independent decisions or become financially independent. So think about it this way. When an emerging adult wants to live at home, Maybe what they're trying to do is save money because it's their way of trying to become financially independent so that they might reach adulthood more quickly. This isn't regression to childhood. This is actually a step in trying to take steps toward um, uh, adulthood. And so um, I, I think that's really great. Now, it doesn't take away the fact that it raises new questions of, well, what does it mean for a child to come home after they've maybe been away at college? Um, and that's probably for another conversation. But I do think we want to be uh, not so quick to see moving back home as necessarily necessarily a failure.
1: Yeah, I think that's incredible. I, I love the shift in perspective um, mm. on that issue. Just so many parents that I know that are, that are dealing with that now It is a big trend. Um so yeah. what are some a few things that you would say to a parent who's parenting someone in this phase um you know what advice would you give
2: them <sighs> Oh, well, I have uh, a lot of, uh, well, I don't know if I advice, things I've learned, <laughs> things that I've come What are come a few about,
1: ideas <laughs> <laughs> that they could try?
2: I, I think uh, uh, some things that they can try are, are probably uh, this. I, and again, I don't know if this is research or autobiographical, but I, I think that emerging adults need parents who listen more than give answers. Um, uh, we used to have for a long time in our family room a frame picture that had the words on it, tell me more. And what we wanted to do with this was just, I think it really captured sort of the spirit of our conversations uh, where we are more sounding boards than quick answer people. The answer actually is in, not in the final decision, but it actually is in the process along the way. So my middle daughter, Elise, um this last year, she had to figure out where she was going to go study abroad. And I, I said, well, where do you want to go? What are you thinking about? And she would say things like, well, my friend Jess wants to go to this country, and I think I want to go there with her. Or my friend Amy is thinking about going to this country, and I'm thinking about wanting to go with, with her. And I had a moment where I actually, I think I parented right. I just said, well, where do you, you want to go? And um, she thought about it, and she said, well, I'm not – I don't I don't know. I said, well, what if you came up with the criteria of things that you want to do and that you are excited about? I know the friends are important to you, but – you know, if you could just set that aside for a second, what would you uh, come up with? Now, I'd love to say that she just kind of came back and, you know, had like the perfect answer. Um, she actually um, came back and she said, "Dad, I want to go to this country that has the gross national happiness as a as a gauge." <laughs> that's, like, that's a good. That's a good criteria. Like, cool. You want to go to Bhutan? I, I, and then I had this moment where like, I don't know if I'm really comfortable sending you somewhere near Nepal. I don't know if that's the case. But then she came back again, and she actually put together this criteria of things that were important to her. And she ended up going to Spain and having this amazing uh, trip where she didn't go with any of her friends but she lived into something that really was an expression of her values and what was important uh, to her and i think for whatever happened in that exchange i i had a, a parenting moment where i took the time to listen rather than just tell her what to do and i think it it changed the experience for her but the process of getting there was just as significant as uh, her actually going on this trip and so uh, you know I think that this idea of being the sounding board this tell me more sort of posture I think is really really great uh, another thing that par- parents can do is that I think parents as their children are moving from sort of adolescence into emerging adulthood um, parents need to use new language now I learned this really quickly and I um, uh, as I found out uh, the hard way that it's so easy for me to go into dad mode. And I experienced this with my oldest daughter, Kara, when she went off to college for uh, the first year. We would talk on the phone, and I would say things like, uh, so what do you have coming up? Did you get your homework done? How late were you out last night? Uh, And I could literally, like, if we were Skyping or if we were talking, I could see Kara shutting down. And it, I was like, "What's going on?" And I realized that I was treating her as an adolescent. I wasn't treating her as the emerging adult that she was uh, growing into. And I realized that our relationship was changing, and therefore my language needed to change. And so, um, so I tried something. I, I called her up one time, and I said, "Hey, tell me about what you're learning these days. What are you excited about? What's the what's the toughest?" Part of college for you right now. Um, and and I, I think what I did is I changed my, what I realized as I reflected on it, controlling language <laughs> to, to journeying language. And I think that even in our language and our questions, we we subversively communicate something to our kids about what our relationship is and how we see them. And uh, and so I think this sort of changing our language is a really really important thing for us uh, to think about. Uh, the other thing that I'd say is I think that we have to pr- do this throughout uh, our. Parenting, but I think it becomes really important uh, at, at this uh, at this juncture as well, is to talk about uh, faith with them. Uh, in my research, I was surprised by how many emerging adults uh, said that they had not talked with any adult about their faith journey experience while they were at college. Now these were 21 and 22 year olds. These weren't 18 year olds. These were a little bit uh, older, but they would say things to me like, you know, I haven't told anybody this before, but, and then they would share something with me or they'd say, you know, I've never really processed this out loud with anyone before, but this is, this is how I'm thinking about my faith. And I, I was thinking to myself, who? Who's talking with them? Whose job is it to sort of process this idea of uh, faith with them? And uh, I just realized that I think it's, I think it's really important for us uh, as parents to do to do that. And so I, I think sometimes it's hard for us as parents because to talk with them about faith, because as we talk about their faith, we are challenged then to talk about our faith. Hmm. And this is something that gets very, very personal then for us as parents. And so, uh, for me, I've tried to practice this with with my own daughters. Uh, I I have found that they're not going to take the initiative necessarily, but um, I think they're open to it if the parent takes the initiative and makes that first move. But I'll... I'll sit down uh, with, especially my older two, over coffee or something, and I'll I'll say things repeatedly like this. So tell me something you believe that you don't think I believe anymore.
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question.
2: Right? Or the opposite. Tell me something you don't believe that you still think I believe.
1: Now, how do you prepare yourself for the answer that you're (laughs) going to get when you ask a question like that? Well, that's
2: just it, right? Yeah. I mean, this is where we hold our breath. Right. Now, sometimes I'm not going to say we always have these deep, profound conversations, but I want them to know that there's always room in our relationship to have those type of conversations. And I want them to know that it's okay if we don't see eye to eye on, on everything. I mean, let's just be realistic. I don't, agree with everything my parents believe anymore. I mean, there's going to be a point when that's going to happen. And actually maybe there's something I can learn from my daughter's perspectives or the things that they're learning. And so it's a moment where I'm opening myself up to vulnerability as I'm inviting them to open themselves up to vulnerability. And that's, I think, where the conversation uh, really uh, begins. Now, that's not for the faint of heart, but I think (laughs) if we sort of cross our fingers and don't say anything and hope that it's all going to turn out, I think we've missed an opportunity to really um, not only let them process their own uh, faith journeys, but also for us to continue to grow in our own.
1: That's incredible. I love the shift in language, the shift of um, kind of a transfer of power, even a little bit of saying, hey, Absolutely. we are um, in essence on more equal terms. And um, I see you and respect you as an adult, um, even though you're still kind of figuring it out. Um, yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The shift in power is a great way of putting it. That's great. So, yeah.
1: For parents who are listening to this podcast, and they, maybe they aren't in this zone of parenting yet. Um, so that would be myself and, and a number of us. We're, we're looking at this emerging adulthood, um, you, know, not knowing what's coming. But how do you feel like your research and your understanding of emerging adulthood shapes your perspective of even parenting in the early years? I mean, what would you say to us as parents um, that mm. matters when it comes to preparing our kids? for facing this phase eventually?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think um, there's a lot of ways to think about this, and I'll, I'll use this metaphor, and it's not mine, but um, I'll tie it into faith, but I think it's broader than that as well, is that sociologist Christian Smith in his work on adolescent and emerging adult spirituality talks about this lost language of faith in religious families, that faith or faith or God talk has kind of gets relegated to church and sort of in special sort of, uh, environments. So it's kind of like the French you took in high school kind of gets lost when you don't use it. Right. This loss of faith language and, I think I'm compelled by this metaphor because I think the best thing we can do is to talk about God in our daily living in just sort of the everyday things that we do. Our language of faith then becomes more natural and integrated uh, and not awkward and out of place. And I think if we broaden this idea of faith, I think there's something very intimate about talking about faith. It it gets to something that's very personal. And I think if we can practice talking about um, real personal things with each other i think that it keeps the relationship close too often i think in parenting i don't care what age it is is we we default to the list of things that we have to do for the day and we talk about tasks and we talk about um uh appointments and to do's rather than talking about opinion and heart and feeling and so i would just say um I think as parents, no matter what the age, and this will help us if we start early and then we continue to graduate into adolescent and emerging adulthood, is to start these things early because then they don't seem weird later on. So, I mean, simple things. Um, Pray together. Share your day together. Talk about what you're learning, maybe in the scriptures or a book that you're reading. Share a little bit about what's going on with you.
1: I love the concept of starting early. Uh, mm-hmm. And doing what you want to be true later, um, just all along
2: the way. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, and I, I, think the beauty is, is if you're a parent uh, of young children right now, you've got so much time to actually do this, like take advantage of the fact that you're thinking about that now. It's not that if you've got high school kids that it's too late, it's never too late. I mean, any step in that direction is always powerful. Um, but I think we have to, as parents, to uh, be really careful to not go, well, I can do that later, or I can do that next year. I think the, the moment is now to start sort of cultivating the type of relationship you want with your kid uh, for the future. Uh, and I think that can be really, really helpful. Uh, another thing I'd say to parents, and I, again, this isn't research. This is more my experience, but I've, I've had a number of younger parents, uh, entered into these conversations. Um, I'll, I'll talk with a parent or a dad and they'll just have this blurry eyed look in their face and they'll be like, all right, my, my kid won't go to bed. They keep getting (laughs) up and they want to know where I am. I like, um, and I can't get anything done and they're always pursuing me and I'm exhausted, you know? And I, I said, uh, to, to one particular parent who was talking about this. I said, you know, um, your kid won't stay in bed, but there will be a day that will come where they'll never leave their room. Mm-hmm. And uh, something happens, and I don't know exactly when, it's different with every kid, but the pursuit changes. Yeah, Where they will stop pursuing you, and you all of a sudden have this moment of like, wow, I've got more time, this is really, really great. But it struck me one day that I realized that, the pursuit had to be reversed and i had to pursue them and i think that as kids get older as we parent we have to constantly ask that question what does it mean what does it mean for me to kind of Pursue them to knock on their door, to sit on the floor in their room, and say, "How was their day? How was your day?" Because they're not necessarily going to come to me to do that when they're freshmen in high school because they feel overwhelmed or they're talking with their friends uh, or whatever. And so I'm always looking, even now, as my girls are older, uh, for ways to say, "Hey, um, I'm going for a run. Do you want to? Do you want to come with me? I'm I'm going to the store. You want to come along? I'll buy you a coffee if you go. You know." (laughs) Whatever it takes, and it's amazing how they'll um, pick you uh, pick up on that. And I, every kid is different. So, like my oldest daughter, Kara, it's like sitting in a coffee shop. I have like, I'm really proud that she only drinks like really good coffee because I've like, <laughs> I've taught her well. So we will find cool, like coffee shops. And then that's our space for my daughter, Elise, she will, she cannot sit still. It's gotta be a bike, a, a hike, a walk or a run. And I can usually convince my daughter, Lauren, um, to go for a good run or a great morning breakfast. Or the other latest thing that, uh, that we've connected on is she takes me dressed shopping for for her dances and I'm like why me and here's the reason she thinks I'm good luck like whenever (laughs) I go with her she finds like she says yes to the dress so I'm either like a sucker and I'm like will probably pay more than her mother would pay that's probably part of it but I it's really funny I'm like her good luck charm so you know again I think we find the areas of connection with our kids but we've got to like have that sense to pursue them uh, because they're moving at 100 miles an hour and we're moving at 100 miles an hour and it just isn't we're not going to just randomly bump into each other so I think that's
1: amazing I love I love that imagery and I love um, the way of thinking about that pursuit shifting because Mm -hmm. our kids really do need someone to pursue them and to keep showing up to let them know, you know, you are worth it and I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to keep listening to you um, and changing what I need to change to fight for this relationship. So uh, mm. thank you so much for Absolutely. for those words. Um, this has been a great conversation mm. and uh, I'll look forward to many more.
0: So there you guys have Kristen's conversation with Steve Argue, which... What a fantastic last name, let's be honest.
1: <laughs> and if you talk to Steve, he, I don't think he ever argues he ever, with anyone.
0: No, the like the least argumentative person on the no. planet. So chill. Yeah.
1: Chill. Cali vibe. Absolutely.
0: No arguing yep. with Steve. Um, th- it was, Steve, no argue. Steve, no argue. <laughs> Steve, we're going to make your middle name no. Yeah. So Steve, no argue. Uh, but what a great conversation you guys had, you know? And uh, parenting definitely continues on. You know, it's, it's beyond what we're imagining the end to be. Make sure you guys are hanging out with us on Instagram. Instagram, we are just at ParentQ. If you go to Facebook, facebook.com slash ParentQ. And on Facebook, there's over 14,000 people that at least have told us they like the page, so you can be fourteen thousand and one. Come on over; lots of good conversations happening there as well. If you're subscribing on iTunes, Podcast Pickle, wherever it may be, that is a real place. <laughs> but it just sounded <laughs> funny when I started when I started saying it. I'll uh, make sure you rate us, leave some comments, leave some reviews, tell your friends uh, to join us on the next time we bring you an episode of Parent Q Live. Godless Whitaker hanging out with Christina Ivy, saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next
2: time.